On this episode, we attend a crypto conference, hedge funds explode, and we see the end of the craziest Q1 we've ever seen. Welcome to Think at Heart. End of Q1. Like End I said, Q1, yeah. we're excited. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But before we do, I'm Scott Goodfellow. This is Ben Hart. Welcome to episode number 13, lucky number 13, on this long weekend, Easter weekend, or whatever it is, religion or holiday you practice. Whatever you choose. Yeah, absolutely. Picked up the ham at the grocery store this morning. Oh, We're nice. We're all set. Nice. And everyone likes a nice ham, eh? Nice ham and yeah. mashed potatoes. Wow. Scalloped. Scalloped potatoes. Well, we have a lot going on. The world is still, you know, we're 13 months later, the world's still in turmoil. Yeah. But before we get to that, one of the things I wanted to talk about was what we do, who we are and what we do. Right? Sure. You know, we always yeah. start this uh, by saying, I'm Scott, this is Ben. We're the Heart Investment Group. And one of the things that we're trying to do is really kind of communicate the message about how we're different than all your other portfolio yeah. managers or wealth management teams. And, you know, we certainly do operate different, you know, from shows like this. But I think we finally boiled it down and we launched our new uh, tagline today, which is built for growth and prepared for risk, right? Which I think is perfect for how we operate. Right. So why don't you expand on that a little bit? Why why is that suiting for our team? Yeah, so I think it's uh, the, the one thing I've spent the majority of my career doing is trying to think around how do you make sure you're making decisions to, to try to protect that portfolio at all times, but also grow it. So a lot of people say that. A lot of people talk about that. There's a lot of uh, fund companies and individual investors that say they risk manage portfolios. But I know for a fact that they don't. Obviously, going through multi-cycles, I've learned that the objective Objective is if you can protect that downside, it's a lot easier to grow the portfolio. And so when you think about that, oftentimes all you hear is this is the performance, this is how I've done, this is performance. But when you when you boil it down and you look at the successful investors of all time, you look at like the Stan Druckenmullers and these guys that have uh, made made tons of money over long periods of time, and their primary primary focus is to not lose money. And so if you have that as your focus, then you need to spend a lot of time adjusting to the portfolio, especially given this market. So when I think about the portfolio construction, I think, what am I doing today to make sure the portfolio is growing? So picking away at individual companies, pruning, taking profits here, adding to other things there. I'm constantly thinking about, okay, so what's my risk associated with everything that I'm doing right now? And it's a constant fine tuning around what's the market giving me now? How do I how do I adjust to that? I mean, last year was a classic example where where I owned index puts, which is that defense. I know we had the option call there a few weeks ago. And so I had index puts in portfolios. So when the market dropped hard, these index puts went up thousand percent and offered that kind of support to the portfolio. And so that portion was that uh, built for risk. So we were able to buy and put 
have puts in portfolios, building it for risk. And then on the other side of that, as we started to come out of it, I looked at what do I want to own in portfolios and what do I think has an outside chance to, to provide good returns? And that's what I did in, in April, May last year was, was the first entrance into crypto and bought Bitcoins and Bitcoin into portfolios. So adding a growth component to a time when things are attractive. And so it's always thinking about how do we manage that downside? How do we protect? What do we do? How are we adjusting portfolios? And I know it's different than what other advisors do and, and how they manage portfolios. And uh, really that uh, focuses on managing the downside. And it's super important and something that really gets overlooked until you have an event like we had last year. Is that a good summary? I think that's a fantastic summary. So would you say though a lot of, uh, like I think you mentioned early in that was that you know, a lot of advisors think of it as like how not to lose money, right? Like, so you're always in defensive mode. So you, maybe you're, you're not taking opportunities, right? But the best defense is a good offense. I coach a lot of, I coach a lot of hockey. The worst thing to do is try to sit on a lead. So like when you have that defensive mentality and just don't want to lose, I don't want to lose. You're playing not to lose rather than playing to win. Which it seems like such a simple thing, right? Like, oh, that doesn't really mean anything. But mindset is such a huge part of everyday life, right? So I think if you have that mindset where you're attacking, you're going out looking for that value every single day, right? And you're looking to win rather than just like, oh, I hope we don't lose today, right? Big difference in how you operate on a day-to-day basis. And I would say that's it for our, our entire team. You know, we all have that kind of mentality. So for sure. Totally. And that's what it comes down to. And one of the things that I've learned over the years, too, is if you see a signal to buy something, you have to do it. You got to pull the trigger. No one's going to make you do it. And if you see a trigger to sell something, you just have to take action. And it's uh, it's that constant decision making that you have to keep moving forward. Yeah, for sure. I think that's good advice for anything you do. Right. It's not just being an advisor. I think it's just great overall business advice or great advice for life. So. Man, we're we're just sharing the wealth here today on uh, Think It Hard, aren't we? Speaking of sharing the wealth, we've gotten involved in a, in a great little event that we should mention on here as well. One of the great things about moving over National Bank, they're involved with uh, our local hospital here, Chio, our local kids' hospital, Chio. And every year they do they sponsor the. Uh, I think it's the 15K is the, the title sponsor of the CN Cycle for Chio. So the Heart Investment Group has a team in there. We've kind of committed, Ben, you and I anyway, to uh, raising $1,000. And National Bank's going to match that as well. And But we have to ride, ride our bikes 100 kilometers. So I think we're going to do that. You could normally just do it in one race. Obviously, can't do that with COVID. But uh, So they're letting you kind of spread it out. But not us, Ben. We're going we're gonna to do the 100K all in one sitting, right? For sure. How do you feel about that? I feel great. Yeah? When was the last time we were on your bike? Uh, eh? Does uh, riding the banana bike count? <laughs> no. <laughs> it's been a long time. I've been on the uh, – I'm fine. I got it in the tank. Yeah? You got it in the tank. Yeah, but does your butt have it in the tank? Because, like, that's going to be four hours in that hard saddle. Don't worry, you can borrow some of my chamois cream. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't want to go out and buy a whole new tube. No. Exactly. No, but we're, 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 
we're super excited to uh, be a part of that. And yep. uh, I think it's just the beginning for the Heart Investment Group to start giving back. We've identified some charities in, in town here that we're going to start giving to on a regular basis. And uh, can't wait for us to be able to show up at some of these events live in the future as well. That'll be, that'll be really a game changer as well. Okay, let's get into the meat and potatoes, as they call it, right? A lot of stuff going on. A lot of stuff going on in the world today, this week. And like we mentioned uh, in the intro, it's the end of Q1. You've been in this game a lot longer than I have, but easily the craziest first quarter I've ever seen. You? Yeah, I mean, I guess last year there was you know, there was a crazier month. Like, let's say February to March was crazier from a market dynamic. But as for this quarter, the amount of things that happened is is off the charts. Crazier people and crazier events. Like, yeah, that was a, certainly a much more impactful event, like one single event. But there's crazy stuff going on right now. Hey, from GameStop, and we're going to talk to a bunch of bunch of things. But it just seemed like it was like one thing after another. Yeah, I mean, GameStop was uh, was the start of it for sure. That was uh, that was the start of this quarter. I mean, it's hard to believe. Like, it feels like that was two years ago that happened, but uh, I know. that was two months ago. Yeah. Do you think things in the world are getting faster, or do you think you and I are just getting older? Things move faster. No, I think they move faster. Maybe both. Yeah, but probably both. Like it used to be when we were kids and our nineteen, or even when we were in our teens and our twenties. You know, like it seemed like. You know, a day was a day and a week was a week. Now it's like a week is a day. You know, it's crazy. It just goes so fast. It's insane. I sound like such an old guy saying that. You do. You really do. Because of this business too, I think, the speed at which information comes at you, if you choose to look at it and be privy to it, then it's faster than I've ever seen, for sure. Compared to where it was when uh, I was reading paper newsletters that people got mailed mailed to my house. And that wasn't that long ago. No. No. When I started in the business 20 years ago, or 21, nine, so 2000, like we had a single person that could enter and execute trades for us. They sat in the cage. You wrote on the ticket, on the carbon copy ticket, and you went and gave it to the DNS operator, and they executed the trade for you. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, I'm not even kidding. Like, that was. I have a similar story when I was working in real estate when I first got into that uh, business. I never sold real estate or anything like that, but um, still, I worked in a real estate office, and it was before MLS was online. So every week, they would drop off these huge catalogs that were like this thick and they had all the listings in it. And you would like the clients would come in and they would sit down and they go through with the agent each page. And like, I don't know, half of them could be sold by then. You know what I mean? You wouldn't know. They'd have to call the agent, see if it was still available, right? Like all that. It was like a huge ordeal, right? And just like you said, it's just, it's gone to the next level. It's hard to believe that we've lived through that already and we're, we're not old. I mean, we're in our early 40s, right? So, well, I am. You're considerably older than I am. Yeah. <laughs> less, less, than, less than a year, I believe. So, yeah, Q1. Anything else on that? Did you want to get into the weeds? I keep interrupting you today. I'm sorry. I'll, keep it, I'll, I'll tone it down. I'll tone it down. I want to throw this one, uh, one slide up so we can kind of talk a little bit about what happened in Q1. I want to put the... 
the people's faces up there who were kind of leading the charge. This is a great example of what's what's happened in Q1. So I just want to hit on these three people. Some of you probably know them. This uh, the first one, the guy with the headband. This is the guy that started the game GameStop revolution. And so you know, GameStop traded at 19 bucks in Jan- January 1st, 19 dollars. So I'm not sure if you know where it closed today. Any ideas? So it closed at 190 dollars. So it's up 10x since there. I mean, anybody would be ecstatic with that as a return, but it's obviously it's been a volatile roller coaster ride. Started by this guy really pumping the stock, really squeezing the short seller. That was the first kind of hedge fund manager, we'll say, to get their butt kicked in Q1. Melvin was short. GameStop. It's hard to believe that you'd be short a company that had gone down already 70, 80% from its highs, but he was short it and. And uh, this guy decided he was going to attack it. And so with uh, Reddit and his, his his buddies, they decided to, to take, take off and, and drive that stock up. And, you know, it's really changed the narrative for GameStop. They're reinventing yourself, like you'd mentioned before. They've hired a new team to, to put themselves in, in a solid position to come back. And so that really started and kicked off. What I think is is potentially a, a, a new way that these hedge funds could be vulnerable to retail investors. And the second lady in the middle is Kathy Wood. And so Kathy Wood is the founder of ARK Investments. And so ARK's really been the leader in the technology revolution. You know, they have their multiple different ETFs. And Kathy's been on record really kind of talking about how technology is going to change. She's got a genomic ETF. She's got a, fin, a fintech ETF. And so, you know, I think there's a lot of people that are dismissing what she's doing. But if you think about a lot of the things that where the world's going, you know, Kathy is really leading the charge. Then, of course, the last one is uh, the hedge fund that just got destroyed this past week. And so that was a $10 billion hedge fund that uh, went to zero in a matter of days. And so this guy built his career off of uh, growing the hedge fund. He got charged for insider trading and basically then started, decided to manage his own money. And yeah, it's the fastest I've ever seen anything like this happen. But he went from really having $10 billion one day to zero. It's, so it's been an unbelievable uh, Q1. That's crazy. I wonder, we're going to get more into that guy, but um, I wonder what a guy does, guy like that does after you lose, you go to zero. Like, does he just get a job like at Foot Locker or something? Or? Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Throw that on your resume. Goes to work at the bank as a teller, you know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I know he's given a lot to charity. He there's a 500 million dollar fund that he manages outside for that he's donated to charity. So I'm, you know, I'm sure he'll fall back somewhere into the financial culture somehow. But uh, you know, it's it's hard to believe that you can evaporate 10 billion dollars in two days. Did they come out and say? Did he? He didn't do anything illegal, right? He just lost all his money. Yeah, I mean, he did something illegal before he had to stop trading other people's money, yeah. But uh, no, this time, 
Yeah, this time I don't think it was illegal. I mean, potentially the banks that took more risk and leverage than they should have. And so I think what's probably going to come out of this is some obviously more regulation. So if you're running public money, you know, once you over once you have over a hundred million dollars in US equities that you're running, you're forced to disclose your holdings every quarter. But because this guy's not managing outside money, he didn't have to report anything. He didn't have to say what he owned or how he owned. He didn't have to tell the other banks that he owned uh, other things as well. And so, you know, obviously some regulation is going to come out around this. For sure. I wonder if a guy like that too, could he could probably raise some more money, right? I mean, he obviously has some a skill set there if he grew it to $10 billion. I mean, he was levered, but uh, he lost $80 billion, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So if you uh, are a fan of billions, you'll, you'll recall that Bobby Axelrod had some issues too where he couldn't manage out, outside money. It's the same kind of thing. It's the exact same thing. So this guy can't – he's banned – He's banned from man- managing outside money. That was part of his settlement for insider trading. He paid a $44 million fine and said, I'd never trade other people's money again. So, yeah, I mean, I guess there's a workaround probably where he, uh, I assume, will probably continue to manage money in that space, but not directly. So I'm sure there'll be something that'll happen, the connections, the people he knows, there'll, there'll be something that comes out of it. But I, it'd be hard to believe that he'd have any ability to get back to his former self. Well, I better find something or negotiate a good commissioner rate of Foot Locker. You know? <laughs> like, you know, maybe you can actually get a a half a percent on those Jordans or something, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Move some more units. So I've been waiting for this. I can't believe we haven't meant talked about this yet. Is uh, we went to a crypto conference, the Real Vision Crypto Conference, which uh, Ben attends every year. It's virtual, unfortunately. Hopefully, one day it's in like Vegas or Nashville or something like that. Eh? Wouldn't that be cool? Would, yeah, we go back to start traveling around and doing those conferences. I used to do that. I used to do that for a living. Like, go. I used to travel like twenty days a month going to conferences, and uh, I was sick of it. Right, and I was in like my late twenties and stuff, and I used to go to like all these five star places all around North America and attend all these conferences, and I used to get sick of it. Now I'm begging for one. So, <laughs> as soon as we can go, as soon as we can go, Heart Investment Group will be at the uh, at whatever neck whatever conference is next in Vegas. We'll be there. <laughs> yeah so amazing three-day crypto conference we uh we attended it in ben's basement i brought the popcorn and there was a lot of eye-opening stuff i mean there was a lot of basic stuff but i find like anytime you go to conferences over the years if i could pull out like that one or two things that are really kind of give us that big idea then uh you know that's what i was looking for and i, I found a couple what about you yeah, so I think so. Last year was a big eye opener, a lot of attention and focus around Bitcoin. Obviously, there was still lots this year, but I felt that it was a bit different, a lot more focus somewhere else. But yeah, I certainly picked picked some things out of that. I picked up like my obviously I'll be interested to hear what you thought I thought that the biggest standout for me was really much more talk around Ethereum and much more talk around really the kind of the highway so Ethereum there was a lightning network that they kept talking about 
kind of more the the pipe or the infrastructure around how these currencies are going to move around. And so a lot of talk around that. And that really got me quite a bit more comfortable around the thinking that the infrastructure for Ethereum is better than I may have thought it would was. Quite a bit more confidence around what and where that plays out and how that plays out you know I, I think it's going to be quite different you know this kind of some talk around ethereum versus bitcoin they're not the same and so i came away with the, the thought that ethereum is a is an infrastructure play which is what i'd initially thought and much more confidence coming out of it that everyone's kind of building on top of it for lack of a better better term yeah, I would say similar to that was the few guests that they had on. I was looking for that one, who was that one kid that was explaining what the digital world is going to look like in the future? What's his name? Pierce Kicks? Yeah, Pierce Kicks. So this guy, you know, he's already been working in the space for years and he he's, you can see he already has the next 10 years of the digital landscape laid out and it's something he's working on building actively in the space. So that's definitely something that one that I'm, I'm going to rewatch that was most interesting to me because to, to me, Bitcoin and crypto and blockchain and all those things, they're, they're already here. Right. I think it's part of our job. I mean, it's still important to pay attention to that because there's still more to know, but I like looking out and to see what's coming. Right. Cause I think that's as far as like to bring it all back to investing, what this podcast is supposed to be about. Right. Those, that's where the value is. I mean, if you, if we knew where Bitcoin was going to be, you know, three years ago, then uh, we'd be in a much better spot. So, yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I think uh, I would describe that. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, the thing that I found interesting about that is he talked about that digital world, which is really foreign for us, but for kids, it's it's completely natural. But he talked about, I think it was him that talked about somebody had come in and bought a bunch of NFT digital art, set up a whole digital art gallery basically displayed all his NFT digital prints in that art gallery and then ended up selling those digital NFT prints within his art gallery for a profit. It was uh, completely insane for me to think about the the thinking that went behind that, but uh, it was a, it's a whole new way of commerce. Yeah, it's true. I think I think the next generation already knows, you know. I don't know if that guy be in the next generation, like what he's probably 25. So, uh they, those guys think on a totally different I don't know if that's the average 25-year-old clearly not, but those guys think on a totally different level cuz they just get it. We have to learn it. They just it's just part of who they are, right? Very interesting. Anything else out of that conference that you really so the other thing we had the CEO there of Stripe speaking, he was a, he was a real dude for sure. But you know, it's it's interesting to hear him talk about how he interacts in when finance. You know, obviously he runs a he runs a finance digital finance company, but him and his whole group i would say don't ever touch a bank's network like he doesn't have a chase account he doesn't have a jp morgan bank account they just talked about uh, he talked about how clunky 
the traditional system is and uh, really what they're building around this kind of digital interface, a financial digital interface. I mean, I did send out in my daily this week at some point, which you probably see the banks have actually lost a material amount of market share from money flow in the last couple of years. You know, they've gone from having 100% of all money that flows in and out around the world. And so now globally, that number's down to about 70%. The other 30% would be in, in the digital landscape. He talked really about that whole, the whole group functions that way. And so we've seen some announcements this week. We saw Visa, of course, come out and say that they'll take crypto uh, and do that and add that within their platform. I mean, obviously, PayPal and Square are already there. So these are the senior companies, Visa, PayPal, and Square. There's so many of these, these juniors that are coming up behind them and really pushing them along. But to your point, you know, it's important to pay attention to these companies. I mean, Stripe going to come public soon and some of these others are going to come come forward and they're going to eat the banks and so it's a matter of looking at uh, obviously when to invest in them valuations are still going to matter but it's important to think about how quickly that's actually changing right now i couldn't agree more like it's it's very interesting too because then you in the same week you have ray dalio coming out saying that he was pretty sure that the u.s is going to ban Bitcoin, right? Like, what do you think is the thinking behind that? I'm always interested when guys like that do that. Obviously, Ray Dalio runs the biggest hedge fund in the world, uh, managed $170 billion, which is 10x most uh, average hedge funds. So he's he's been a successful investor. He's really built his career, though, not off of making great grand calls like that. He made his career out of being very strategic. They built a machine system that really weights decision-making within his business. I'm not sure if you're familiar how Bridgewater works, but basically they built a computer algorithm in their system, in their team that really tracks and weights how their different portfolio managers work together. And so one of the interesting things is, you know, if you and I say we say we do uh, some idea sharing, you know, every time we engage and interact with each other, there's a data set that gets put into their computer system to assess how good we are. And not, not only that, we also it also assesses how much we like each other, how much we agree with each other, or how much we disagree with each other. And ultimately, all of that gets, gets pooled together and comes up with their investment thesis and ideas. So the reason I say that is because he hasn't been successful out of making these grand kind of forecasts. He's been successful at working together, building one of the best, I'd say, computer algorithms in the system, and then making good investment decisions around that. So, you know, that's kind of what I think about it. You don't think a guy like that could move the market? Do you think he could move the market on his own with comments like that? So maybe five years ago. Maybe 10. I mean, 10 years ago in his prime, I would say, yeah. You know, there's a famous fixed income bond manager, which you, you may have heard his name before. His name is Bill Gross. Bill basically built PIMCO from the ground up, you know, from zero to $2 trillion in asset under, assets under management. His fund at its peak, I think, was $800 billion alone, like himself, was running this fixed income mandate. And there was kind of a moment in his career or two when he he thought he knew everything. He started making these predictions and bets and essentially 
eventually at some point the the firm just basically kicked him out and he tried to go to another firm to manage money he couldn't do it and started making these grand forecasts about how he knew everything was going to happen a certain way and his career's kind of fizzled out since then so you know i'm not saying it's exactly like dalio right now but there's some similarities that i think these guys get to the end of their career and they're like wow look at i've been so great you know why shouldn't you just believe me and i'm going to be great going forward the only part of it that does give me some concern is he'd be pretty tapped in to a lot of high level government which maybe have said something to him but i think it's more he's trying to get headlines did he not say a while, a couple of months back, that he was warming up to it? Was it him that said that? Or was it different? Yeah, he wrote a whole piece. He wrote like a 25-page piece on how he thought it could be an interesting asset class within portfolios. Maybe it's legit. Maybe he did hear something. Who knows? I just find it to be it's a pretty big train to stop now, you know? But Yeah, no, it's still a risk. It's still a risk. It's still a risk. I don't think it's a foregone conclusion. You know, like there's always things that can happen, right? But it's just gathering so much momentum. You know, you get companies like Visa and Tesla and, you know, all these big big institutional money. Like it's hard to stop it now. A lot of influence, like you talk about government, it's a lot of influence within those companies, right? So you got to start seeing the companies like Apple Guys like that pull the trigger now. That'll make all the difference, I think. Okay, in that same theme, you got some more charts for us this week, Ben. I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm a visual guy, as you know. Let's see the charts on, uh, what are we charting today? We got a couple things going on in our charts here. We're going to uh, cover a few things. I wanted to touch on a couple of points in relation to, to Bitcoin. I know, still, still touching on those. I think it's interesting still to put it up as uh, there's still so much to learn about it. And most of the pushback I get is is uh, internal in nature, as you know. A lot of the, the pushback comes around, where does this fit into portfolios? And so I've spent and continue to spend a lot of time. This was a piece that Real Vision put together earlier this year, really talking about it within the asset allocation landscape. And so because Bitcoin and crypto kind of sat outside of that that traditional landscape, thinking about it within the confines of a of a balanced portfolio, I think is an important aspect to look at. And so they had put and essentially set it up in looking at four different baskets. Okay, what's my base portfolio? 50% equities, 40% bonds, 5% commodities, and 5% currencies. So that would be a typical balance portfolio that you'd look at. And then what they did is they, they they stripped it down and said, well, let's just take out that 5% currency weighting and put Bitcoin in there. And then what they did is they did kind of a slight adjustment to all of the asset classes to get down to that 5% weighting in Bitcoin. And then the final one was reducing equity exposure and uh, replacing a 5% weighting in, in Bitcoin. There was, and there is some interesting return profiles that come out of this, which Maybe I'll save for for another uh, presentation, but I think it was interesting to look at this from the traditional style, coming at it from from the way that most of the banks look at things is they think about asset allocation first, and so they came at it from that angle, and so it was a really interesting piece. And 
as we talk about it a lot, it probably fits into portfolios similar to one of these mixes. I would think about it as really a kind of a 5% weighting uh, reduction of equity exposure. Um, so it was a re- really interesting way to, to look at it. And so I wanted to show a couple other slides around how these different asset classes behaved last year. And so you know, as they as they did their research, they did a kind of a back test. Let's look at how the different asset classes did in a shock scenario. You know, fortunately, we got to see that shock scenario last year. And so, if you take a look at this, so this is the uh, this is the the standalone portfolio with a with a five percent Bitcoin weighting. And this was what happened in the kind of that February to March twenty third timeframe. So if we look at the the red bar on the left-hand side, that's the portfolio. So balanced portfolio, weighted across all these asset classes. This is how the portfolio did. Market's down 40. It was down 20, we'll call it 22% on that drawdown. But then you look at the different pieces within there. And so gold was down a little bit, a couple percent. Oil was down close to 60. Uh, Bitcoin was down 31, we'll say. Equities, developed equities, so that'd be U.S., Canada, Europe, they were down more than that. They were down about 35%, we'll say. Emerging markets, a little bit less, so on and so forth. So, you know, if you look at this just on a simple basis, you're going to say that you're taking similar risk to equities, a little bit less uh, risk to the downside for, for Bitcoin. But because it's only a 5% allocation within portfolios, that's a tiny drawdown. And then if we look on the other side of that, you had a, you know, Bitcoin over the last 12 months has had about a 500% return since then uh, versus equities that are up, we'll call it about 50%. And so it's just, it's just context and thinking about how it fits into kind of that traditional portfolio construction. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I've never. Uh, it's interesting to see see it worked into the mix like this now, right? You just, I think people have just been trading it as a standalone for, and well, and really, and we're going to talk about that too. Is there really hasn't been a way to include it into your portfolio, right, into your traditional portfolio up until just recently? So uh, yeah, it's very interesting. So we'll evolve, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about performance and how this looks over time, but really just kind of wanted to set the guidelines and the framework. I mean, you talked early, and we talked a little bit about risk management. And so why do I show these numbers? Because this is how you think about risk management. So when you're putting something into a portfolio, if you're putting in something that is a little bit more volatile, then you have to think about, well, I, I need to reduce, either reduce some of my other risk or increase my other protection somewhere else, whether whether it's U.S. Treasuries or port protection. So all these inputs make a big difference when you're constructing a portfolio. Do you have any more slides? I got two, I think two, two or three more. I had two. This is kind of further to our conversation that we had about uh, the crypto conference. I wanted to hit and show a couple of names that are kind of leading the way, both from a company perspective, which I'll show you on the next page, and and also from the, the digital wallets. And so, you know, I think that, uh, again, there's lots of terminology still to come for us to everyone to understand. So digital wallet basically is equivalent to 
to a bank account in the old kind of thinking. And at the crypto conference, they talked a lot about kind of the the the, the boomers versus the the future. So digital wallets, I just think as a as a simple bank account. And so if we look at these, and obviously in, in North America, people will be more familiar with some of these, like Robinhood, Venmo, Cash App. So Venmo would be, I, th- I believe, PayPal's, and the Cash App would be Squares. If we look at this, these are these are happening and, and coming out all the way around the world. Obviously, China has some huge ones with Alipay and WeChat. So these are digital wallets that um, that we're seeing uh, pop up everywhere around the world. So are any of those North American ones available in Canada? You know, uh, so Mogo is available in Canada. Yep. So would PayPal. Awesome. Oh yeah, that's that sector is just growing, right? Like digital wallets is just gonna, like you said, just gonna replace bank accounts. Exactly. Last one on crypto, and then I got one slide on the Fed, and then we can we can drive on from there. But I wanted to hit a couple things. So obviously, this again continues to play off of of what we saw. I think I thought this stuff was interesting and important. Obviously, I mentioned Stripe when we spoke earlier. The other one was Coinbase, which Coinbase is uh, going to be is going to IPO, I believe, this month. So it'd be interesting to see how that does. But this is uh, a crypto online. You can buy and sell uh, cryptocurrencies on there you know they're they're one of the leaders though in why they're interesting is one of the leaders in regulatory too right and like they've been early to say we need your disclosure we need we need your social insurance number or social security number excuse me they need all of this information to verify who you are and what you are so that they're going through the same regulations and rules if you had an investment account so they've really been been the leader in that space so these are all companies to pay attention to they're all private companies right now. And so when you know Scott mentioned we have to think about what's going what's in front of us, you know, this is the most important thing for us to look at and say if this if the industries are changing and we're thinking about what's coming ahead, well the companies that are going to lead the way are not likely going to be the the older companies that haven't adjusted adjusted, have big real estate footprint. It's going to be these smaller companies that are starting to come out and lead the way. So it's important to pay attention to these names. We can't get any new issue of like Coinbase for a number of reasons, right? Obviously. When when can we start buying that type of thing? Like Coinbase. Like obviously they're gonna release it and then it's just on open market like as soon as that hits. Yeah, so it'll trade on US markets and so uh It'll definitely be worth paying attention to. As I say, there'll probably be a lot of hype around it. It might suck some money out of uh, of Bitcoin as as the IPO. It would be interesting to see what happens. So I'll continue to pay attention to it. May take some attention away from MicroStrategy and Galaxy and some of the other names, but that that'll be one that people trade that uh, they'll implement in the portfolios to make sure they have exposure if they can't buy it anyway else. Right. Well, yeah, that'll be interesting. When does Coinbase go public? Do you know? So it's supposed to be this month. I don't know if they, if they, if we've seen an official announcement. Yep. My last one's a boring treasury chart. This is back to the to the traditional finance. 
<laughs> so this one's around. We've talked about this, where the Fed is. I mean, it's important because the Fed is the one that has made crypto an alternative asset class for people because they've pumped so much money into the economy. But uh, what Powell said a couple of weeks ago is he said, you know, we're on cruise control. We're we're not going to buy more than our than our limit of 120 billion dollars a month, and they've been consistently doing that. And so they're buying more than they said they would. You know, he said he wasn't afraid of where interest rates were. Well, he obviously is because they're spending lots of money trying to keep rates down. So it's important to look at this. And as I think about where the top end of interest rates are, this continues to be an important thing to say. Let's watch what they do, not what they say. Okay, so just to kind of round that out, again, another episode, we're talking about Bitcoin and crypto. You know, a lot of questions that we have, and you're even getting them because we're such an early adopter. And I know, I th- I'm pretty sure that you were the first one to get it in portfolios, certainly in the city of Ottawa, that's for sure, right? And I know to this day, I think you're one of two in a national bank, I think, that has, that holds this right now. But you're constantly getting people, not just clients, but also now advisors reaching out to you and asking how you can get this into people's portfolios. So where are you seeing it? Like how, how are you squeezing us in? It's a different, it's a much more different conversation now than it would have been 12 months ago. 12 months ago, it's easy to say, just take an allocation and it's simple, find a way to do it. At the time, obviously, uh, QBTC was the only one. 3IQ is the asset manager, or it was a closed-end fund that traded trades on the TSX. So that's the one I've generally used. But now as, as it starts to evolve, there's a lot of companies that are attractive. And so we've also had the B the the BTCC, which is the ETF that has uh, that has come out, and so while we and I, we've spent so much time kind of understanding it and thinking about it, you know, I often get either advisors or, or or other people within the business that wanted me to give them a 30 second answer on it. And it's not a 30 second description. <laughs> you know, if 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 crypto becomes a, a true alternative asset within portfolios, you know, it's a six hour conversation. It's not a 30 second answer. It's not like a company where they call you and say, you know, what do you think of Shopify? And you can give them your 30 second soundbite and they can understand Shopify. But when you when you're talking about crypto, it's a long like you have to understand it, and it takes a long time to to do that. And so, you know, as I get other advisors ask me, or others within finance ask me, well, where do you see this within portfolios? How does it fit into portfolios? And it's you know, it's not something that you can you can answer within thirty seconds. Like it's a it's a real effort to understand it. And so I get it into portfolios where I think and how I think, but as for where it fits for everybody, you know, you you really got to understand it. If people are listening to this, how do they approach their advisor in wanting to get it and you know want to include it in their portfolio? Yeah, so obviously, uh, just as as a, a continual reference, this isn't uh, advice. Uh, certainly, everyone should talk to their advisor, see what the best fit is, is for them. But there is quite a few more products out there now than than there were a year ago, and so. 
you know, the, the great thing about some of these ETFs launching is I'd investigate them, see what's important to you. You know, if you just want exposure to it, then BTCC or BTCC.U, which is the U.S. denominated version, can give you exposure in Canada. Fidelity just launched one in the U.S., or it's about to. The reason I chose 3IQ in the first place, the thing that I liked about it, is they actually own the crypto. So, you know, similar to uh, some of the gold funds out there, where they actually own the physical gold, so you kind of have that guarantee that you have some protection there. QBTC has that. They actually own the physical, where some of the ETFs would be more using futures and options to, to gain exposure to that. And they don't they don't own the the total physical understand un, underlying. But you know the simple one would be to say, let's just look at, you know, show me the ETF. Let's look at the ETF versus the closed end fund. You know, both of them have quite a bit of volume, so you don't have to worry too much about the bid ask spread. But I'd say those those two QBTC and BTCC would be the the best places to look for a, a simple Bitcoin exposure. Yeah, I mean, I think the fight for clients, like if we have somebody that's interested, is almost having to educate the advisor just because there's not a lot of people that right there may not be a lot of advisors that are really familiar with this so if you got a if you have a consumer out there that's really you know understands bitcoin and has kind of taken that approach then i'm not sure what they're going to do in that regard but yeah so it's a great point like i had had conversation with the advisor last week, right? Who uh, said, that's it's crazy. I'd never take that much risk within clients' portfolios. And so, you know, I think one of the things that people, again, forget is that, you know, this is potentially a new asset class. And so I think there's as great a risk as not having some exposure as, uh, as, as having none. You know, if this you know, if you just even hypothetically, as I think we talked before, you know, if you have a tiny weighting within the portfolio, it added a huge amount of performance in in your portfolio. You know, you say you take a two percent weighting within the portfolio, even if that goes to zero, and don't think it is, but even if it goes to zero, you still got ninety eight percent of your portfolio and other stuff, and your other stuff are going to be stocks and bonds and high quality things. If you're completely wrong. Which, which is not likely, but if you are, you still got the other portfolio doing lots of things. So, you know, I think that uh, sometimes there's, there's a lack of attention to how dramatic a small impact with an asymmetric return profile can have within portfolios. Well, I think we should wrap this uh, episode up. What do you think? I think we had a good go, yeah. Jeez, the time flies, like we talked about, right? But before we go... We would love to continue the conversation online at any of our social media platforms. We're now on Facebook, Instagram. LinkedIn is probably our favorite place. But I shouldn't say that, you know, because now we've got this newfound energy. Now we're allowed to use Facebook and Instagram. So we're going to start using that a little bit more. We're on Twitter. Ben's somewhat active on Twitter as well. You know, you can also follow us both individually as well. So you can just look up any of the uh, Heart Investment Group on any of the platforms and you'll definitely be able to find us. Okay, that's episode lucky number 13 in the bag. Again, if you have any questions or comments, please find us on social media, email us, call us, send us a smoke signal, whatever you got to do. We'll uh, be happy to hear from you. 
All right. Have a great long weekend, everybody. 